announcements this morning because uh, we have a couple big ones that we're going to talk about. But first, uh, I want to talk to the men. Men, there's a Faith Men's Beach Trip. Uh, if you look at the graphic in your bulletin, I put the wrong dates on it. It's February 23rd through 25th, not 22nd through 25th. Uh, but we're going to be heading down to the beach. And because we're in a, a, a beach house, the registration is capped. Uh, and as of right now, we are already more than half full. So, uh, men, if you want to go, uh, grab a bulletin, uh, use your little uh, QR code on your phone, get it. It'll take you right to the sign-up page, give you the details. The cost is $65, and that's going to cover transportation and your meals while you're there. We, may, uh, we will be picking up some meals on the way there. Um, so uh, sign up for that if you want to go because it is filling up fast. Okay, uh, next, uh, Fred, I think we'll go to, um, let's go to the uh, AV fundraiser. So um, we are taking out uh, some time and finances. We want to upgrade all of our audiovisual equipment. Um, so if you look, you can't really see that very well. Uh, the, the projector is old. They don't make it anymore. So the bulbs that go in the projector, they don't really make those anymore or they're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, so we want to upgrade uh, our projector, our screen, our speakers, the microphones. Uh, we want to upgrade the website. Um, we're, we're looking to do all of this, but we want uh, you to pray about giving into that if you call Faith Church your home. Um, so uh, our goal is to raise $20,000. We're going to give ourselves a, a, a few months to do that. But as the money comes in, we'll start to make the changes uh, that, we, that we think are necessary. So uh, we're going to, uh, first, it's going to be the, the visual stuff, and then it's going to be the audio, and then we have uh, the website in there as well. Um, our goal is $20,000. We're asking you to give over your tithes. You can give three ways. You can give um, by, uh, in an offering envelope, just mark on there. Uh, if you put cash in there, put cash, audio, visual, fundraiser, um, and then put it in the box. You can write a check and make sure you put it in the memo notes, audio, visual, fundraiser, or AV fundraiser, or you can give online at faithstatesville.org slash give, um, and uh, in the drop-down menu, the, the fundraiser will be in there, and so you can give online. Uh, as, we, as we go, we'll keep you updated with how much has been given. There will be other special times to give, uh, other fundraisers that we'll do within the next couple months. But this is, uh, this is the next step in just kind of redoing everything. And I will tell you this, we had all of this budgeted and then downstairs flooded and took all our money. And so uh, we still wanted to do this and we decided that we would go the, the route of the fundraiser. And we've never done a fundraiser like this since I've been here uh, because giving has always been great and our spending has always been great. Uh, but now's the time to, to ask for just a little bit more as we, um, as we are pursuing this goal for our AV equipment. And you can ask myself or uh, Andy Beatty, um, one of the, the ministry leadership team members, 
basically I told Andy, hey, Andy, pick out all the AV stuff we need. And he was like, he was so excited. Um, it, was, it was awesome. And, uh, and okay, uh, my last one, we announced this at the members meeting, but now uh, all of you who are not members get to hear it. Uh, Faith Church has made a new partnership with a church network. And the church network is called the Convergence Church Network. Uh, we partnered with them uh, uh, in covenant at the beginning of the year. Um, uh, you can go to convergencechurchnetwork.com, right? If, uh, and uh, I'll I'm going to read from their website, and it says this. It says, Convergence Church Network aims to collaborate with like-minded Christians to promote, encourage, instruct, and support churches committed to the convergence of word and spirit as a distinguishing feature of their ministry. So this, uh, this network is started by Sam Storms. Um, uh, if you've been here, you've heard me reference Sam Storms on multiple occasions. He was one of the first authors that I started to read about when, we, when I started to read and study the gifts of the Spirit. And he has uh, started this network, and it is, for ex it is explicitly for churches like ours who value the, the, the Word and the teaching of the Word and Scripture but also want to marry that with the gifts of the Spirit, the action of the Spirit, and the presence of the Spirit in our church. Um, and so uh, when I heard, I heard about this back in October when I was at the Remnant Radio Conference. Um, and uh, basically, when I was hearing what they were talking about, I was thinking, I really could have used this four years ago. Right when, when I was starting to learn about the gifts of the Spirit, I was trying to teach you guys about the gifts of the Spirit, and I just, I just felt like I was drowning every week. Like, God, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. And now as more and more churches are pursuing this and doing this, um, there is uh, now the opportunity for us to connect and resource with other churches around the country and uh, for them uh, to, and then to lead churches looking to go this way to, to make transitions like we have. So um, if you want to check that out, convergencechurchnetwork.com, um, and that is our new partnership. If you have any other questions about it, uh, just uh, you can come talk to me. You can shoot me an email. Uh, my email is on the bulletin, and, uh, and I'd love to answer any questions you have about that. But now as we get ready this morning, please stand with me. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. Come in that manifest way. We know that the presence of God is with us because we're gathered. Because we're going to proclaim your goodness and your glory through singing. But God, if you're not, if you're not working on us, if you're not speaking, if you're not leading and guiding our hearts and our minds right now, then this just becomes mere words. It just becomes repetition. It just becomes, it becomes ineffective religious practices, God. So right now, would you begin to to soften 
the hard-hearted ones that came in this morning, the ones who came in feeling like, like God is against them, that God doesn't love them. Would you begin to soften their hearts, Lord? Lord, would you begin to work on those of us who came uh, prepared, willing, wanting all of that? Lord, would you then honor the, the, the preparation that they've done, Lord? And Lord, if there are any who are far from you this morning, who do not know you, Lord, begin working on them. Let their, let their spirits and their mind and their affections be drawn to you. Because you are good. So Father, give us everything that you have for us today. Begin to melt away the barriers and the walls that we've put up coming in here. In Jesus' name, amen. And before I leave the stage, uh, if you want prayer during worship time, we have prayer at the end, but if you just come in and you need prayer, the ministry team is always available for that. The ministry team this morning is Lloyd and Stephanie and Brittany and Amanda, and they're just up here on the front row. And you can come up and get prayer if you need to. But now I'm going to hand it over to the praise team this morning. Are you happy to be here this morning? So last Sunday, right before Refresh started, Amy comes up smiling. She said, you remember you're leading next Sunday, right? I'm like, I can't remember something I didn't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but she said that, and I thought to myself, I just led a week or so ago. I'm doing this tonight. God, I'm dry, and this week's going to be awful full. I don't know if i got time to do this. And, uh, and it was almost like he told me, it's all right. I've got it under control. Um, you know, the Israelites, they were in the desert. Everything's dry around them, and, uh, but God's still there. He's there in the midst of it, and uh, he's there today, and, uh, and he's going to make a way. So.
make a way in the desert and then he was faithful through his son Jesus Christ for us to have a relationship with him and he's our living hope how great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is Baby. 
sealed the promise his buried body began to breathe and so when they lead us in that again I want you to breathe like I want your breath to get to all the places that you feel are are dead are beyond his reach I, I don't want you to sing I literally only want them singing and I just want you taking in deep breaths the wind and spirit of the Lord, deep breaths in. So we can go, uh, and then came the morning. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out 
is the kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the dead we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. So much more. Charles, I said, uh, you know, what's, what's the message going to be on this week? I know it's Leviticus. What's, what's, what's the message about? And he said, oh, it's about you know, God's mercy and you know, a faithful God. And I'm like, I know a song that's about a faithful God, but I can't place what it's called. Had to tune in my head, so I Googled it. It was faithful God. <laughs> so, um, but it really got to listening to the words. Like I said, I knew the tune. I knew it was about a faithful God. But I thought it just fit in so well with how he's so faithful. Even in the desert, he was there. Even though when the people were complaining, once they started wandering, he was there. And uh, he's, he's there this morning. So Teresa's going to lead us uh, starting this one. And uh, he's a faithful God. I am surrounded. On every side can see the light of day, but I am persuaded beyond all hope you won't let go of me. I stake my claim on every word you say, you will not be laid. I will Crashing waves, I know I'm safe with you. 
times fight and struggle and walk away but it is in your nature to continue to look at your children and say I still love you I am still here with you because you do not leave and you do not forsake so Lord this morning bless bless the teaching of your word that the power of the spirit would illuminate to our hearts and minds exactly what you would have us to hear. Separate from what I'm saying or my words, Lord, you speak into the lives of those here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay standing. 50 weeks in the Word. I think we have about 75 people who have committed every week to read one chapter, the same chapter every day memorize one verse and go to one Bible study. Bible study, Bible study starts back up on February 21st, which is Wednesday at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall. And this week, our chapter was 1 Timothy 3. And so we're in, uh, we memorize 1 Timothy 3.16. If you didn't sign up, don't feel bad if you don't have it memorized. Even if you did sign up, don't feel bad you, had, you didn't memorize it. Just memorize it next week and jump right back on where you left off. So this is it, and I'm going to change it, and we're going to say it together. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached in all the nations, and uh, believed on in the earth, and taken up into glory. You may have a seat. First Timothy 3, 16. I always forget the reference. You can have a seat. We're continuing in our series called Purified for the Presence, a journey through Leviticus. As a church, one of our focuses and aims this, week, this year uh, in 2024 is passionately pursuing purity. How do we live pure lives? And this is not uh, uh, an exercise of morality or an exercise of as clean of living as we can get, though we should uh, live morally pure, clean lives. But per pursuing purity is pursuing Jesus and letting his purity wash over us. And so this morning, I've called the, the message Gracious God, and we're going to go through Leviticus 2 through 6. 
Let me recap the first couple weeks. Israel, right? Uh, uh, largely, the book of Leviticus is not about, uh, uh, in fact, the book of Leviticus is not about sacrifices that forgive our sin and make uh, people holy before God, right? Uh, the, to be holy before God, to be a child of God, has always been the same. It's by grace through faith. The, uh, Paul makes that clear throughout his letters. The New Testament makes it clear. Jesus makes it clear that it is by faith in him that we are redeemed. So what is Leviticus about with all the sacrifices and the rules? Israel is sacred space, and it's designed to host the presence of the Lord. And so in that, they had to uh, stay ritually clean and pure. And then uh, I said that week, that we are now this place where God dwells. We are now the holy of holies because the presence of God lives in us. Last week we talked about the burnt offering and how when wanting to meet with God, an Israelite would bring a burnt offering, which was an animal without blemish. And this was a sacrifice basically to say, I would like to come meet with the Lord and I'm offering this animal to be consumed by fire. And how Jesus was an offering, and now as our act of worship, as our offering to God, we are fully consumed by him. That's Romans 12.1. So if you have your Bibles open to Leviticus chapter 2, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to read from Leviticus 2, from Leviticus 3, from Leviticus 4, and from Leviticus 5. Okay? I'm not going to read all of those chapters, so you can calm down right now, right? Because I know some of you didn't hear that, but I'm going to just read, uh, and the verse will be up on the screen if we need it. So we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 2, and I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. And it says, when anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offering. Turn ahead to Leviticus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering... If he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hands on the head of the offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons and the priests shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar and from the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord. He shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loin. With the long lobe of liver, he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood, on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now Leviticus chapter 4, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about the things not to be done, and does any of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, he shall offer for the sin uh, that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. And now finally, Leviticus 5, 14 through 16. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as compensation a ram without blemish, out of the flock, valued in silvered shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing, and shall add a fifth of it and give to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. And this is the word of the Lord. You guys understood all of that, right? Entrails and fat and lobes and burning and flour. One thing that I find interesting about the human body is that I could lose some toes and I could still balance and walk. If I lost my arm, I could still walk. But if something happens in this little space from here to like here down in my brain and just this little ear canal, all of a sudden I can't walk. I, you, if, if dizziness is a huge side effect of ear infections. And, uh, if, if you have just a little bit of your, uh, what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the term right now, the equilibrium thrown off, you can't walk and you stagger and you go side for side. And, and it just, I, I, look, I don't, I don't need anybody coming up to me and saying, well, this is actually how it works, Charles. All I know is that it's weird that that happens like that. That this little piece like, has something to do with the rest of my body, and the rest of my body can't control what happens right in here, right? And, and this is what I'm going to talk about, because uh, there's e- there has to be equilibrium in Israel, okay? Equilibrium basically means that everything's in balance. So uh, to walk, I need my feet, my legs, my, my hips, my back. I need it all, but if one little thing is out of balance, I'm not walking straight, Right? So Leviticus, it deals with equilibrium in sacred space, with everything needed to be in balance and in harmony. So uh, I'm going to show you a diagram in a second. But these sacrifices and offerings, it's keeping people and the sacred space of Israel in equilibrium with God. So if any part of this diagram that I'm going to show you is off, is askew, then everything is at risk. That's, that's, what, that's what all of these laws and sacrifices are in Leviticus. So uh, here's a diagram I made. Uh, if you want to look it up, I, was, I actually got mad after I made this diagram. Uh, I got this from, I got the concept from an uh, uh, article called uh, Equilibrium in the Sacred Compass, Study of the, book, of the Structure of the Book of Leviticus, um, Light Reading. And then I realized that when I got that article, it already had this diagram, and I was like, oh, that's 20 minutes. But so you see here, you have the Holy of Holies. And wouldn't this look so much better on a new audio, a visual system? I mean, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you just give to that? Um, so in the very inner sanctum, the very closest you can get to the presence of God, it was the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. So if something's off with the high priest, then everything else in this circle is thrown out of balance. And then the next is the holy place which is just for the priest. So if a priest sins and goes into the holy place, then everything is thrown out of balance. And I'm going to show you another picture right here. You can see right here is the holy of holies, only the high priest. Right here is the holy place where the rest of the priests could go. If any of those are out of balance, then everything in Israel is messed up. 
Next, you have the courtyard, which is this general area in here where the altar is, where all of this is here, and that was overseen by the Levites. So the Levites, so the high priest has to be holy, the priests have to be holy, or the holy place is corrupted. The Levites have to be holy, or the courtyard is corrupted. And then outside of that, the people of Israel need to be holy, or else the whole camp is corrupted. Okay? And then outside the camp, you have Gentiles, and we're not even going to get into Gentiles right now. We're just going to hang out. But when something really bad happened, what well, you were thrown out of the camp. You were banished to the Gentiles. So everything needs to be in balance. And these sacrifices keep everything in balance. When we read this morning, and when you read through Leviticus, and you see blood's being thrown here, and blood's being thrown there, and the, this part's being burned here, and this part's being burned here, you don't have to understand all of that, but you can if you study, if you wanted to study it. But all you have to understand is that it is keeping everything in balance and in harmony in the nation. Starts at the Holy of Holies and goes outward. And so the first offering that they have this morning is the grain offering. And the grain offering is a fine flour mixed with oil and seasoned with frankincense. And then later on in chapter 3, it says that there's to be no honey in it and there's to be no leaven in it. Why no leaven or no honey? So no leaven, uh, if you don't know what leaven is, leaven is the, the agent that would cause a chemical reaction in bread that causes it to rise. So yeast is a leavening agent. A sourdough starter is a leavening agent. But these uh, offerings need to be pure before God. That's why there's a bull without blemish. And so um, what happens here is, is that uh, the ancients uh, saw a leavening agent as something that altered the natural process of bread, of flour, as it were. And so nothing unnatural could alter the process. Why was there no honey? And I'm not going to explain this you, uh, this week. It'll be in a few weeks I'm going to explain this. But honey is an excretion from a bee. And when something's life force is is diluted, it cannot come into the presence of God. If you're confused by that, just join us in a few weeks and I'll explain the life force and dilution before God and all of that. So the priest would take a portion of the mixture, they'd put some on the fire, they'd put some in basically what amounts to like a cast iron skillet sometimes, and then they would eat of it. And here's something that it says later, down, later on down in Leviticus chapter 3. It says that it needs to be salted. This is the point that I want to talk about for a couple minutes. All grain offerings needed to be salted. Why did grain offerings need to be salted? Because salt is symbolic of an everlasting covenant. In verse 13, it says, You shall season all of your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Back, back in the ancient times, when, when people would make a deal of, of immense importance, part of the, the deal would be, okay, if we, it, it could be, not every deal, but lo, many deals, if I, if I do not keep up my end of the deal or my end of the covenant, then you come and you consult my ground 
because then nothing there would grow ever again. Salt is seen as this thing that, that its effects are eternal. So when Jesus is talking to Jewish people who believe they're in exile, and he says to them, you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. But if a salt loses its saltiness, how can it become salty again? It's only good to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Right? So a Jew hearing that might think he's talking about covenant. He's talking about sacrifice. And they're very aware that they have violated covenant with God. In fact, that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're trying to bring everybody back into covenant through all these good works so that the Messiah would come and the Messiah is standing there and said, hey, you might lose your salt. Your salt might be gone. See, this offering was to remind the person bringing the offering that God's covenant was an eternal covenant, that there was, that there was a, a, a sense that they could go forever and their their descendants could go and it's the same God meeting them in the same place with the same flower and fragrance and don't forget the salt of the covenant is what uh, God tells Moses they need to know that that this is forever and then comes the peace offering peace offerings in Leviticus Chapter three, and and what happens is uh, you can bring a uh, an animal. Uh, it could be from the flock. It could be from the herd. It could be a goat, um, and they they cut it very specifically. They butcher it very specifically, and what happens in this uh, sacrifice is that the peace offering becomes a meal for priests and for families, and it makes it a most holy sacrifice. When a part of the sacrifice is eaten by priests, it is a most holy sacrifice. And so uh, we see in this one that, when, that the first of all, the fat belongs to the Lord. Fat means choicest parts of the meat. It doesn't necessarily mean like the fat as we think of it, but it's the best part of the animals. I like to watch... Uh, well, I, they took it off Hulu, so I, don't wa- I can't watch it anymore. But I used to like to watch Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, right, with Guy Fieri. And he would go to places, and every time somebody mentioned fat, he would always say, fat equals flavor. Like, it's the best part. It puts the most flavor. And so sometimes there's uh, people in my house who don't want to eat the fat from the meat, and they'll just say, they know to ask me, Dad, do you want my fat? And I say every time, yes. And I lecture them. Fat equals flavor. You are missing an important part of this meal because you are giving me the best parts. Thank you. (laughs) So the best of it, the best of this sacrifice belongs to the Lord. The breast meat of whatever is being sacrificed, that goes to Aaron, who is the high priest. And he eats of it. And then the right thigh goes to the particular priest that sacrificed the animal. Right? So whatever priest was on duty that day, whatever was sacrificed, he would take the right thigh and that would be uh, his meal for him uh, out when it's lunch break, when it's dinner break for 
uh, but you can only eat them for three days. And after that, you couldn't eat them anymore. And then parts of it were given to the person offering it. So if I was bringing a goat, they would give me back meat, and I was to take it home to my family. And depending on which kind of peace offering I was offering, I had to eat it in a day or I had up to three days. Now, I want you to understand that this, uh, l- let me tell you how to think about this peace offering. There's two, uh, so I'm just going to use something generic here. There's two reasons why men might buy flowers for their wives. Okay, the first is, and this has never happened to me, but you do something ridiculous or dumb. And your wife and you have a, a, dis, a, a disagreement in which later you might realize maybe she had something right and I didn't have everything fully right. Like I had a lot right, but just, just not all of it right. Okay, if you've ever been there. And then later you're walking, <laughs> later you're walking through the store and you see a bouquet of flowers and you're like, I want peace in my home, so I think this might help. Maybe it's not flowers, maybe it's a chocolate, maybe it's a card, maybe it's their favorite food, maybe it's whatever it is. But you're like, things have got to get right. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer it to her and I'm going to hope that she accepts it and that there's peace back in the house. Okay? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The other time, is maybe you're just walking through the grocery store and nothing. You, you just, you're coming home from work and you're walking through and you're thinking, I love my wife. I love her. And I want to show her that I love her. How can I do that? And you walk by the flowers or the candy bar or the card or whatever. And you think, I want to show her how much I love her and how much my heart is at peace because of her. And so you grab the flowers or the candy or the card. And wives, if you do it with your husbands, you can get flowers if they're into that. Or you can get a steak with a lot of fat in it and have them eat that. So uh, the the peace offering is, is like the second scenario. It's not the first where somebody's trying to make peace with God because they've done something wrong. That's not what it's intended for. This is not a sacrifice to make peace between God and the individual, but it's to acknowledge and be thankful that God has already made peace for us. He made peace with them by calling them his people. They were his. If you are his, there is peace between you and God, right? Sure, there's times where you stray and you falter and we struggle, but ultimately there is peace between you and God. He is no longer at war with you. Heiser puts it like this in his book, Notes on Leviticus. The well-being offering, which he calls the peace offering, is brought because it is well with the offerer. They are thankful for the relationship that Israel and the individual has with God. I'm thankful that you chose Israel. I'm thankful you're our God. Everything's at peace with me. And so I want to show you by giving this to you. And this is, these first three sacrifices, last week the burnt offering, the grain offering, and, and now the peace offering, they're sacrifices, of, uh, it's, it's a time of worship. It's, it's a time where, where the first, the burnt offering, it's an ideal worship scenario where each are given voluntarily. They're called a gift of fire and it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. 
I've, for the last like two weeks, I've been wanting to put meat into my smoker so I can light some fire and cook some meat, but I just haven't had time. I probably should have done it yesterday, but I took a nap instead. <laughs> but that was like my only day, but I'm like itching because I know once I light the fire, the smell of smoke comes up and I'm like, I know what's coming next. It might take a few hours, it might take all day, but something really good is coming. And God smells the aroma from the burnt offering, from the grain offering, and from this peace offering. And it's sweet, and it's pleasant to him, and he knows. He knows what it means for the person offering it. This is essentially what's happening in the first three sacrifices. Person saying, God, I love you, and I want to be in your presence. Your love for me is an eternal covenant, and things are good, very good, because you are my God. If written in the 1800s, somebody might say, it is well with my soul. Everything's well, God, because you're my God. And I think so many times we get caught up in our own heads this is going wrong, this doesn't seem right, I'm watching too much of the news and they're programming into me to think certain ways and I'm just, I'm focusing on all the negative and we never step back and just say, I just wanna be in your presence because you're an everlasting God and things are good for me because you are here. Even in the struggle and even in the suffering, things can be good because he is there. And what happens to everyone at some point, we get into our heads. Well, I just, I, what, if, what if I'm doing something that doesn't please God? Like, what if, what if, I'm, what if I, I, had, I, had, I had choice A and I had choice B, and I, God wanted me to choose choice A, but I was so, and I went and chose choice B anyways, and now what if I'm just out of the will of God? What's gonna happen? Or I'm doing this thing and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if it's a sin or not. I don't know what's going on. And I just think that God's gonna, like, he's, he's just gonna punish me in some way. See, if Israelites thought like that, they had what was called the purification offering. The purification offering, these sacrifices, they cover sins by the priest. So the people are supposed to be the most holy. They sin too. Someone unknown in the assembly, a tribal leader, or a common person, when they sin unintentionally. Remember, for deliberate sin, there is not sacrifice for all of those deliberate sins. There's no sacrifice for if you murder somebody in cold blood. There's no sacrifice uh, for uh, uh, homosexuality. There's no sacrifice for adultery. There's no sacrifice for these things. There was just punishment that came. You were cast out. You might be stoned. But there are things where if, if the person didn't know what was going on, God said, I've, I've created a way for that. You don't have to worry about that. My grace is big enough for the things that you do and you don't realize. Like That should be comforting to us. That we try to walk the straight and narrow and then sometimes we, something happens and it's years and we look back and we ask somebody, do you think I should have done this? And they're like, no, I'm pretty sure that's a sin. God already covered it. Right? God already took care of all of that. 
it covers unintentional sin, not testifying. I'm going to touch on that in a second. Touches a car- if somebody touches a carcass, touches human uncleanliness or a dead body, and swears a rash oath. So you are unclean ritually if you are in the tent and your very old great-grandmother was there and she had a heart attack and she went to fall and she died as, she, as she's falling and you catch her and you lay her down, you touch the dead body so you're ritually unclean. There's nothing sinful about that. It's not called a sin. It's just now... We'll talk about it more when we get to life forces in a few weeks. But now something different has happened. You might read and it says, well, there's somebody who doesn't testify. That seems like it's an intentional sin. Now I'm going to give you my opinion on this passage that I saw in a couple places. The word for uh, public testimony there is in the Hebrew, it's the same word that's spoken or that's, that's uh, the word curse is used in other places in Scripture. It, it means curse. So here's what I think happens. I think the people uh, that write the Bibles, they're largely academics, and they're very, very smart. I'm not doing that. And because they're very smart and they have a material view of the world, they might not believe that curses are real. And so they use a, a, another definition for it. So if you read that in, uh, uh, in it's either Leviticus, uh, it's Levit- Leviticus 5. It says, if he hears a public one, uh, a public adjuration to testify. I think what this actually means is that if they hear somebody put a curse on somebody else and don't tell anybody, then they have to have a sacrifice. And I think it's a, I think, and I, I read this in one place where I think it's a thing where somebody's afraid of hearing a curse and not wanting a curse to be put on them. And so you have this, you have this man who's been a professor for all of his life and he's uh, been uh, over, uh, overtaught by the enlightenment that uh, spiritual things are not uh, um, uh, as real as our physical reality. And so he says, well, curses aren't real, so it couldn't have mean that. We'll use another definition for it. Uh, recently, I had um, somebody who does not go to this church, but somebody from the community reach out to me. Um, I have friends that go to different churches that if they hear weird things, they tell the person, go see Charles. (laughs) And so this person came to me, and uh, they were telling me about problems that they were having. And um, there was, they they were having a, a gathering at their house, but her mother-in-law came earlier and brought some of her family members, her in-laws, came to her house. And she got there, and there were people out in their house. And she's like, what's going on? It's not supposed to start till 6.30. And she goes, and she, uh, she goes to what, listen to what they're doing, and they're speaking in a language that was not... Spanish, which is her native language, and they weren't speaking in English. They were speaking some weird language in there and doing some burning rituals. And then they left, and her and some of her family and friends went inside the house, and within 10 minutes, they were all running out, throwing up. And then she tells me that 
that this, this woman who is her mother-in-law, uh, this woman had two miscarriages. And something told her when she got pregnant the third time, don't tell your mother-in-law that you're pregnant. And so she didn't. And her pregnancy was good and normal. Then when she got pregnant with her second child, she didn't tell her mother-in-law again until the, the fetus was viable. And her mother-in-law, oh, you must be tired. Here, take some of this tea. That, uh, take some of this, uh, these herbs and make a tea and drink it, and it'll help your stomach. And her husband thought, I don't think that's right. And he took it to somebody who knew herbs and medicine. And the person said, do not give this to your wife. It'll cause her to have an abortion. And this woman, her life has been filled with darkness. And so I'm praying with her. And man, tell me I was doing this seven years ago. Call me crazy. I was breaking curses off of her life. We're breaking the curses that her witch mother-in-law put on her. We broke them. You know how long it took to break them? A minute. And then she was delivered of a witchcraft spirit. You know how long that took? Three minutes. It's not something we have to be afraid of, but it's something we have to be aware of. Right, this woman was doing things for years and years against her daughter-in-law. It took Jesus four minutes to, to set everything right. So don't fear curses. But you might need some prayer if somebody's cursed you. And then, uh, that was a big digression. Let's come back to sacrifices. The guilt offering purifies. Right, this is the Leviticus 6 offering. But it also demands extra reparation in business deals and damages to things and people. So uh, there's holy things that you're not supposed to touch. And so if a priest damages it, they have to give, uh, they have to give a sacrifice plus 20%. Right? So these are all purifying. In these offerings, only part of the animal is used. The rest is burned outside of the camp. The important part is where the blood is applied. Right, so if you read it, it can get really confusing because there's blood and sometimes there's blood here and sometimes there's blood here and there's blood here and it's never applied to the person because it's not forgiving sins. The blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive sins. But the blood goes as far as the person themselves can go into the presence of God. What does that mean? If you read that, those chapters and you get confused, if the high priest sins, he has to offer the sacrifice, and they offer the sacrifices out here, and then he has to take some of the blood, and he sprinkles it on the veil, the veil that's torn at, at, the, at the crucifixion. He has to sprinkle it on there because he is allowed to go in there, and since he can go that far, that far needs to be purified, and if it's not, death. And then when a priest does it, it's the same thing. They have to take the blood into the holy place. And if somebody, if they don't know who sinned, they just know that there's sin there, then the priest stands as, rep, the high priest stands as representative. And because he's the representative, he goes all the way here to the holy of holy veil again, sprinkles blood on it, because that has to be purified. But if a tribal leader, what's called a common person, I, I always chuckle at that, like, oh, man, that's, I'm glad we're a priesthood of believers now, right? If they take it, 
the blood's just sprinkled here on the altar, and there's blood on the horns of the altar, which are on all four corners. So however far they go, the blood purifies. So uh, if I want to be, have everything be in equilibrium, if a priest sins, go as far as, you, as far as you can go. Somebody unknown sins, go as far as you can go. A leader, a common person sins, just go as far as they can go. Like the, pure, the blood purifies the tabernacle to maintain the purity of the dwelling place. And this allows a worshiper to visit with God. This isn't purifying sins, it's purifying sacred space. What's the point? Here's the point. Love God. First and foremost, love God. Follow him with all your heart. He knows your heart, and when you do something without realizing it, he forgives you. Like that should lift an enormous weight off of people who live with fear and guilt of disappointing God all the time. Like God knows your heart. He knows when you're pursuing him. He knows when you're going after him. He knows when when you're doing something out of ignorance or not ignorance. He knows all of those things. And like I've said, time and time again, he is not waiting up there, waiting for you to slip up so he can strike you down. He's not sitting up there, and when you sin, he's saying, I wish I would have never saved them because they can't even get it right for a day. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God makes every possible way for you to live with him. And in the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate way, he says, I don't want there to be any barrier. I don't want there to be a veil. I don't want there to be a holy place. I don't want there to be a tabernacle. So I'm going to send Jesus so that when he dies, he makes a way for anyone who believes in him to come to me. He opens up the pathway to God. I I think I've said this every week. I'm so glad. I am so glad that you guys don't have to bring animals in here. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we don't have to have a constant fire burning and there's blood everywhere. That's not good for like seeker-sensitive churches, right? (laughs) Like, what's that? Oh, that's just, that's just a sacrifice, blood. Don't worry about it. Like, he is over, Jesus is over and above and bigger than all of your sin. So if you've struggled, maybe before falling asleep, I don't know if God can forgive that. He can. And this was radical. That God would forgive everything. Because for a a Jewish uh, person in the first century to hear that God covers all, that Jesus' sacrifice covers all sin, that's not how it was in Leviticus. Some sin you just face punishment for, but there's grace upon grace upon grace. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin. All sin. 
not some, not most. He cleanses us from all sin. And we live in that righteous state before God because of Jesus Christ. And, and the writer of Hebrews is like, no, Jesus only had to be sacrificed once. Then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, Jesus has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Right? Jesus says, nobody puts me on the cross. I do it because of my own free will. Imagine taking an animal and taking them uh, to, uh, to the temple to be burned, and you're taking a nice little sheep that's nice and pure, and he just ran up and jumped up on the fire. Like, animals don't do that. Sheep are dumb, but I still don't think they would do that. But Jesus essentially does that. He essentially goes to the place of sacrifice and puts himself on the, uh, the cross, which is our altar to die for us. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's already bore your sins, and when he comes back, he's not going to deal with our sin, but he's going to save us because we eagerly wait for him. This is grace. This is grace. Grace is that your sin has been dealt with, that you're holy and that you're righteous in the eyes of God. That's grace. Because of, because of ministry that I do, I, I get, I, people ask me all the time, like, if, should I be doing this practice? Should, do you think it's okay if I do, the, if I, if, if I partake of this, if I do this, if I do this. And honestly, it gets tiring because all I say is probably not, probably not. You make your own decision, but uh, that comes from like, that comes from Eastern medicine or somebody got that from a ghost. Like, don't do it. I don't read that book because that person said it came to him in a violent dream. Like, and I, and so why, why do we, why do we think like that? Right? If we're pure and righteous, why, why do we think like that? Is it religion? Absolutely not. It's freedom in Christ, actually. Because God's desire for purity for us is not so that he would love us more, but rather he knows the earthly consequences for our sin. Like when he tells us, look, don't be like the world and partake of the things that the world partakes in, he's saying that because he wrote the rules. He knows what happens when you do that. He knows what foothold you give the enemy when you walk in rebellion to him. And so when we're passionately pursuing purity, it's, 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 not, it's not so that God loves us more. It's so that we walk blameless, as close to God as possible, without giving the enemy a foothold in our lives. But it's grace. It's grace that, he, that God's love for you is perfect. That's grace. He sees the spiritual battle that we can't always see. And he wants us in his presence and under his protection. This is grace, God's grace. He protects you. 
He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High. He's in the shelter of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my God, my Lord, my God, my refuge in whom I trust. And then it talks about being saved from, from evil and darkness because we live with God. So let's, uh, we don't have to come with bulls or goats or birds or grains and offerings. We don't have to do that because Jesus died once for all. He bore our sins and he loves us and he loves you. And so we obey and we pursue him because he knows what's best for us. So if he says don't do this, it's because not doing that is better than doing it. It sounds simplistic, it sounds elementary, but that's the reality of life with Jesus. So as we end this morning, have you experienced the grace of God? Just a few reflection questions. Have you experienced it? Have you put your faith in him as Lord and Savior? And then, okay, have you done that, but you're still, there's still places in you where you don't, you don't feel, and, and in this case, your feelings are probably wrong, but you don't feel like the grace has spread into every fiber of your being, into every bone, into the marrow, into every cell, and every strand of DNA. God's grace is for all of you. Much like the peace, are you at peace with God? Or are there struggles and things that you need to work out with him, that you maybe need to, to talk to him about, that you need to wrestle with him over? Can you step back and say, you are my peace. And I'm thankful that you're my God. So is there somewhere in your life where you need to believe that God has grace for you? Why don't you stand? I got a text from Brittany who's on the ministry team. Sometimes uh, we will ask God, God, is there anything you want to heal this morning? God, is there anything I should be praying over for? And I'm just going to, look, I might have missed it last week. But, man, I heard it so clearly that it, I, I don't know if it's for someone here or someone I'm going to run in the future but I'm still going to throw out gastric endometriosis. If anybody struggles with that, please let me know. Um, uh, Brittany believes that uh, she might have heard God say radioactive radio, radio, radiculopathy. Sounds ridiculous. Radioactive <laughs> radiculopathy. That's one of those ones that I, I know, Brittany, she did not know that term before this morning. Am I right, Brittany? Right, okay, thank you. So if, if that's you or if you know somebody, talk to Brittany um, at some point before you leave this morning. But what happens, uh, like during the week, like Jared told you, like he texted me, he's like, what's the message going to be about? And then I tell them, and then usually whoever's leading that morning will be like, what do you want the reflection tone to be? You want it to be like somber and reflective and, and um, or do you want it, big and celebratory. And so, and uh, Amy usually asks me for, um, for song suggestions, and I never really have any. 
I'm like, maybe this one, maybe that. But this one, I, I knew, and I told Jared, I think the reflection song needs to be big and celebratory because we celebrate the grace of God. We celebrate that, that he knows us and loves us and that Jesus made a way for him to be children of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, that he's not ashamed to call us those things. And so I said, Jared, you really need to play uh, Child of God. Is that what it's called? Child, Child of, of love. 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 Child of love. love. Child of love. Child of love. And so as we sing, it's celebratory. Let your voices ring out with the thankfulness that God is for you, that Jesus died for you, and that the Spirit lives in you. Amen? Amen. can change the way you love me nothing can change the way I belong to you yes I do nothing can separate oh nothing can change the way you love me nothing can change the way I belong Yes, I do. Nothing can say. 
Nothing changes the way that you love us. You cannot possibly love us more because it is full. It is full. You cannot possibly let it love us less because it is full. Your love is full for us. So, Father, as we leave from here, I, I pray that we would leave knowing, knowing just a little bit more, one step up, five steps up, just more about how much you love us and how rich your grace is for us. That you're a God whose presence is with us with an everlasting covenant and things are well and good because you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.